Hello and welcome to the Union Juice Podcast. Hello, 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 hello. You're all very welcome. We are the All Things Unions podcast for union reps, members, and for anyone connected with or interested in the trade union movement. Each episode is a digital, downloadable delight of the best of the trade union movement as we find it today. In this episode, we chat with Vic Barlow about effectively engaging with members so they stay and get more involved, and her concept of a membership journey. As a masterclass in the subject, you won't want to miss it. We also have a section we call, What You're Reading. Yes, it's the Union Jews Book Review. But first, what's new and what's in the news? Just a few things that caught my eye, made me think. A couple of updates on stories we carried last time. Sadly, COVID-related deaths of transport workers, bus drivers particularly, have continued to rise. But some companies are now taking steps to protect drivers, blocking the holes in those protective perspex shields, getting passengers to avoid front doors, that will hopefully make the job safer. Uh, there was widespread support amongst unions for a minute's silence on Friday the 17th of April. The debate over adequate provision of personal protective equipment, PPE, still continues. Absolute outrage. You know, I'm sorry if you feel you haven't got PPE. I mean, what a ridiculous statement. It's led to some to call for a dedicated minister for this to give greater organisation accountability. Uh, I'm not sure that would really do the trick. My view is that this is an absolute scandal. It desperately needs to be fixed. The situation's fast moving, changing from day to day. Key workers are entitled, every worker is entitled to expect that they will be given what they need to do the job safely. It's the Health and Safety at Work Act and legislation on PPE makes it clear and that's in normal circumstances, let alone these times of crisis. A huge thank you as ever to all our key workers. Some news from key players in the labour movement who aren't unions. Law firm Thompson's secured a victory in court for workers at the Carluccio's restaurant chain, who were organised by Unite. The court agreed that even though the chain had gone into administration, the Corona Job Retention Scheme, the CJRS, could still be accessed to ensure that employees would still be covered by the furlough arrangements. We'll be chatting to Thompson's in a union dues legal special later in the series. And for the other law firms active in this area, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us your stories. Tell us what you've got on the go at the moment. UnionDews at MakesYouThink.com. The Labour Research Department have published the latest in their series of handbooks. This one is on monitoring and surveillance at work, a practical guide for union reps. That could be, that could be very pertinent indeed, depending on what sort of monitoring arrangements might develop out of the COVID crisis. When I was a negotiator, I have to say the LRD guides were an invaluable resource. You can go to www.lrd.org.uk to find out more, but if your union is affiliated, as most are, you should be able to access material pretty easily. The TUC list of what each union is doing on COVID continues to be a really, really important portal. It's a long URL and there's a hyperlink in the blog post that accompanies this podcast. But if you Google TUC, COVID and unions, you'll get there. And finally, to the world's largest curate's egg, which in my view is Amazon. Here's a company unsurprisingly doing very well in the COVID crisis as conventional retailers are in hibernation. But a French court has ruled in favour of employees who were concerned that the company's health and safety plan was leaving them at risk of contamination. The court in Nanterre said Amazon has to stop selling all non-essential items or face a daily fine of 1 
million. Euros. The case was brought by the Sud Commerce Union after one of their members was hospitalised. Amazon immediately appealed, and at the time of recording, that appeal is ongoing. Now to our special guest, Vic Barlow. The thing to bear in mind as we've been chatting is that there are 53.4 million members of over 8,000 membership-based organisations in the UK. So when we talk about member engagement and membership journeys, it's much, much wider than just the Labour movement. So it's my pleasure now to welcome Vic Barlow onto the Union Dues podcast. Hi, Vic. How are you doing? I'm very well. Good morning, Simon. How are you? I'm all right, bearing up in these uh, self-isolating lockdown times. Um, Vic, obviously, you and I know each other pretty well. But for those who've, who've not come across you before, uh, you were the Assistant General Secretary at the National Education Union, looking after what membership and comms until the autumn of 2018, I think. That's right. Is that right? Yes. And so so what have you been doing since then? Um, Well, since then, I have been working with various unions on similar projects to the ones I worked on at ATL and NEU, uh, looking a lot around membership um, engagement tactics and strategies, uh, looking a lot at comms. um, So I'm thinking... One of the first projects I did was with the Association of Educational Psychologists, looking at their new member recruitment strategy and um, also working with the uh, nationwide group looking at their social and digital engagement strategy. And my most recent project, the biggest project I've been working on, is with ASLEF, looking at um, helping them find a new database CRM supplier, which has taught me an awful lot about technology, uh, which maybe I didn't (laughs) know in great depth before. But also, actually, um, the benefits of it for for the union movement, uh, there's a whole world out there of things that we could learn and really uh, benefit from. Well, I'd like to I'd like to go back to the question of what we can learn from from others, perhaps later on in our discussion. But I read a blog post by you recently for Unions Twenty One, uh, in which you were describing the member journey and th- the importance of uh, of the member journey. Uh, what do we mean by that? And and what does best practice in terms of member journey look like? I think member journey refers to sort of two things, depending on, on what you're looking at. One is a very sort of practical description of how you might recruit members from, from them not knowing anything about the union into uh, getting them to join, welcoming them into the union and what you might call onboarding them in their first year, taking them through, you know, what the union's about, why they'd want to stay so that they, you know, at the end of their year, you're ensuring that they renew and that they continue to renew in the union. So in really simple terms it's making sure on a member the member journey is making sure that you're maintaining your member base so that you've got good income coming in but also member numbers so you can you know use those numbers to influence um and so best practice of course is to make sure your members see themselves in the union and that they have they see there's a value in them joining and staying but I think the member journey belongs or has a different connotation when we think about trade unions rather than, say, average member organisations or other member organisations, because we're talking about organising and we're talking about organising around activism or, or an involvement that maybe other member organisations don't have, because quite often it's about negotiations or political lobbying. And that, and that member journey is looking at moving a new member to a more active member right up to, you know, to say, President or General Secretary and every stage of activism in between. And quite often, I think, when we think about member journey there, activism is not really linear. It's not really moving through the ranks from, you know, sort of workplace rep up to committee member to branch secretary to exec member up to president. 
I think when it comes to member journey within a union, it's it's also um, a, a maybe a psychological process as well. It's a little bit more subtle. It might be very low level involvement in the union, maybe asking members to, I don't know, take part in answering surveys or participating in feedback that might drive policy making. Or in the workplace, I think the member journey might be about giving them the confidence to share information amongst their union colleagues or non-union colleagues via email or maybe sticking up a poster or leaving the union magazine in the staff room for if it's an education union. Mm. It doesn't have to be taking on a full rep role or it could be something a bit more subtle about low-level low local involvement, sort of coming out of your workplace but coming into the union family at events which might not be traditionally seen to be union-oriented. And I'm thinking about the use of professional development, CPD, learning there, rather than your sort of um, agendered branch meeting. And so I think, for me, the member journey around organising is... Any engagement at any level is fantastic and it's it's building up the confidence within your member body that they can get active and that there are ways to get active that wouldn't necessarily take up a lot of time, um, wouldn't necessarily mean getting political if you didn't want to. Might not. Some people, I think, feel um, cautious about their career prospects if they were seen to be active. And it's just about giving them the confidence that they can get involved at all sorts of levels. And then, of course, the unions, organising team, comms team, membership team will be looking to spot those people and take them on to more relevant opportunities to get their voice heard, um, which we think of as more traditional activism, I guess, uh, reps upwards. So, yeah, I think I think for me, member journey is about, like I was saying, it is that sort of the steps that you have in union membership, but also the steps that you have in understanding what the union is to you and what you can do within the union. Isn't there a, a challenge, though, that can be sometimes quite quite difficult to, to meet, which is you might engage members at a workplace level and they build a relationship with the union centrally rather than through their workplace rep, their branch rep, their regional rep, whatever presumably one has to walk, walk quite a quite a delicate line to make sure that membership engagement is not at the expense of the democratic and accountable structures that make the union as effective as it is. And I think I think that's really true and that's why any approach to member engagement has to be about an integrated approach, a multi-layered approach where you've got consistency of message coming through and you're and when when I'm talking about consistency of message what I'm saying there is is that you're not layering too many asks on a member from different areas of the union at the same time so that if we're looking say around a campaign the asks are very clear about what that campaign is around so I'm thinking if it's a national campaign to get members to to do something to change something the national ask might be very clear we are lobbying government too but the local ask might be we're asking your employer to take part in this to lobby government too or for your employer to make a difference and I think you have to marry up what you do at a national level with what you do at a local level so that People see themselves locally as part of their community, as part of their union community, but they know there's a bigger, wider organisation out there to support them. And I, you know, from a practical point of, ter- point of view, which is what I've always enjoyed, is, is, is just planning and thinking about the really good opportunities you've got to, to reach members at a time in their either professional career or the union cycle of activities where you could just hit them with information that makes them feel part of it, that they feel themselves reflected in the union. And I'm thinking as a really good example would be, I don't know, say you're going out for 
Uh, say you're talking about, um, I don't know, career a point in their career where they're going to really need help. And that might be moving from trainee into, uh, you know, a new role. So how can you help them develop their career in, in, in that respect with um, good advice on CPD, good advice on interview technique, good advice on how to find the right workplace for you. And when you're in that workplace, how to find your union rep so that they will continue to support you when you're in the workplace. And also, of course, there's nothing more powerful than that face-to-face -face conversation when you've either got a rep going up and talking to a member or you've got, um, if you haven't got a rep, then getting an organiser in to go and talk to groups of members. And it can't, that can't be replaced by as much social media as, or email as you want. Yeah, and of course, if your membership record system is sufficiently sophisticated, both in terms of its construction and the people who, who manage it and interrogate it, you're going to know when those pinch points are, are going to be there. You're going to know when those points of transition are, are going to take place for each member on an individual basis. Yeah, you can uh, do. Yeah, you can do. I think, and this is, I mean, I've got a lot of learning about databases and CRM through um, various projects I've undertaken, both at um, ATL, NEU and uh, ASLEF, is about is about understanding that member member journey, not within the union, but within their own careers. And uh, what, yeah, exactly that. At what point in, in, in any particular cycle of activity are they going to need you? And that's especially for the sort of uh, un under-involved member it's a really good opportunity to, to reach out and say right we're here we've got this we know what it's about we can support you and um, and also it's about it's about in times of positivity it's not always in times of challenge the union should be there by your side mm, throughout your career yeah. not just when there's a problem and i think yeah, but yeah Sorry, sorry to cut across you, but but I mean I I can think of membership based organisations, union including unions where actually those points of transition are not just when members have a particular need. It's actually a point of risk as well because members can suddenly stop seeing the union as relevant unless the union is on it, as it were, to to continue to advertise why it is it's important to to retain an association. That's right, and I think a part of advertising the association is actually doing the is is living the association, doing the association. So if there is a point of transition, it could be something that is quite passive that you could offer, which would be say some web based resource. Uh, but you could do something quite active. You could invite them to an online webinar. You could go out into the local area and offer them like a, a twilight session on something. You could have something within the workplace that helps them transition there. So you're actually embodying what the union does rather than the sort of here's another email here's another magazine article it's something that gets them in gets them talking because people like networking and they like to feel peer support and they like to um, share experiences and I think um, allowing that environment to thrive is, is as important as you know in terms of like continuing offering that networking opportunity is as important as being there in the really really difficult times it's about the low level constant reassurance that you're there but I mean that that requires a degree of strategic planning, doesn't it, to make sure that that the messages and the structures are aligned and are consistent. It does. Yeah. It does. But mm. you should always be member led mm. anyway, because if you understand what your members are going through, because you've asked them, and also just because you know, because it's that time of year when these things happen, then you could be on it. You could have already planned it, and you could already have said to them, through what mechanism is going to be the are we going to be able to help you the most and it could be well I'd actually like you to go and talk to my boss but it could be I'd just like a webinar or I'd just like to hang out with some of the people and so it's just actually understanding what your members need and want and being as responsive as you can with the time and the money that you've got but also learning so if you do run a thing and nobody turns up why is that well you ran it on a Saturday morning and you didn't you know and <laughs> you charge a pretender yeah. to get in you know it, it's just simple things yeah. like that it's just always understanding what the member wants and what the member's prepared to do 
And going off at something of a tangent, do you think that the current way in which many unions have greatly increased their use of webinars because of the COVID crisis, do you think that actually that represents something of a step change, really, in, in terms of members and, and, and unions being used to that as, a, as an effective way of maintaining contracts and getting messages across and providing support? Well, I think that's... Um going to be very interesting for unions to, 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 to look at that and report back to themselves and maybe to the to the movement as a whole about how effective it was to engage members online. I think for many uh, unions it will be a new way of working not only for the staff body but also for reaching members themselves but also I think unions sometimes forget that members are quite used to this sort of thing in their own workplaces. They might all be working from home, they might all be zooming into meetings, who knows what they do already. So to sort of also replicate the experiences that members have in the workplace in by you, I mean, obviously not if you're Aslef and you drive trains, I hope, but if you, <laughs> if you are sort of in one of the workplaces that can work from home, it's what, what works for them already. Again, going back to your members, what works? What tech works? What time works? How long? How many people on a call? You know, um, how calls should be facilitated and followed up? All these things our members probably already know. It's just a question of asking them. If we can go back to... to engaging with members before their members, the first contact sort of mm. stuff. How, how do you think unions can improve engaging prospective members to start with? Well, I think here, there's, there's again, there's two things to be thinking about here. There's the idea of marketing to reach new members um, and um, any union which wishes to grow which just has to go and consider where they're going to go find their new members. And there's, there's two areas. There's, there's the workplaces that already exist where you know you've got members and you can figure out how many you haven't got. And then there's researching the new workplaces and uh, where we haven't got members or unions aren't recognised and working hard to get in there. So thinking about knowing your current membership, and, and we touched on databases really briefly, this is where data is absolutely queen. You have to know your density. You have to know how, mem- how many members you could have in a particular workplace and how many members you actually have. And then you take the time to consider where it's worth focusing your time and money. So you might look at a density by a workplace or you might look at it geographically it might be a regional push that you want to undertake and you could think about going into sort of the medium to high density areas because already you'll have presence you'll have local reps or at least Mm -hmm. advocates or members who you could dispatch to go and find the ones to just get them over the line and we know word of mouth works so how you turn those people into members or you could attempt to recruit in the very low density areas where you'll have to use a variety of organising and marketing techniques to reach those potential members. And again, that's about consistency of messaging at the right time, saying the right thing to the right people. And so that's layering, you know, workplace visits with local CPD events or paid for social media activity and maybe even local press work if there's a particular issue that you want to organise around. And I think the good thing mm. about low density areas is it gives you the chance to test different channels and messages to see what works. So, you know, and there does come a point in, in any either high or low density area where you have to decide you've reached your peak. So you almost need to set yourself a target of what good enough looks like in some high density areas. You're just not going to tip the final 5% over the line or 10% over the line. But in low density areas, there might be other barriers that stop you from achieving your your recruitment attempts. So again, you've got to decide what the the realistic targets are. But whatever you do, if you've decided on a plan of action, knowing what your members want, just stick with it for a period of time. 
uh, you can tweak it as you learn but don't chuck it out and try something else because if you keep chopping and changing your tactics you'll never know what works um and then you'll never learn good point good so. point yeah yeah, I mean, I've, we, I've heard before from, from chatting to, to our colleagues involved in this sort of work that, that they often encounter a resistance to innovation. Um, and actually, from what you're saying, it sounds like, you know, there are, it's horses for courses. You have to innovate. You can't be afraid of failure. If you don't try, but try in a consistent well-managed way you're never going to learn you're not going to know where your baseline is that's right and measure things you know set yourself some targets what does this look like what does success look like um and then try it and if it works in a particular area try it in another one and if it doesn't work there then you've got to really sort of ask yourself questions about why it didn't work there it might be you know if you're one of say six unions that tend to recruit in their areas you might just not have the traction or you've got a particularly difficult employer that won't help you get in front of there so also, when you've only got so much time and money, just think about where you're going to put yourselves. But I think the most important thing in any of this is to understand what members want and find out from those mem- potential members, especially in the new workplaces that you want to get into, what is it going to be that makes them see the relevance of the union? I mean, there are going to be some that feel, you know, political um, ambition, uh, not their ambition, but political change is very important. Collective voice is very important. And we know a lot of people find the legal support is quite compelling. But some people might just want it for networking, peer support, CPD, whatever gets them over the line, in my opinion, is is the thing that you use. And then you sort of organise them into greater activism. And I was just thinking about new workplaces, especially maybe where younger people work, and just going back to the idea of trying new tech. If these people are used to doing things differently, using different channels, then try, you know, find out what the channels are and see if you can hook them in that way. Because if that's what they're used to, then go to where they are and use those means. But also, if they are working on different ways of working, not just try nine to five think about talking to them about that it might not necessarily be a bad thing some people enjoy that freedom some people have chosen it I mean I'm not saying it's always great but for some people it might work out and just think about how you can um, engage them on their own terms and be a bit more reflective of their own experience and I think that would be I think that would be helpful there's some work we did at Unions 21 actually that was quite interesting that took us down a subreddit rabbit hole that nobody knew that's where we'd end up but it was how do you find how do you find young workers talking about the issues at work and we set up a subreddit group eventually um uh, and we talked about all sorts of stuff like chairs that don't fit properly or crazy working patterns or tech that doesn't work and we got traction people were talking about it yeah. And, and then we could sort of start saying, well, have you thought about, have you thought about? And, you know, you can organise organize around that, but go to where those people are and find them there. Absolutely, absolutely. So what lessons do you think we can import from outside ourselves, outside the UK labour movement? Are there, are there people in other places or other sectors that are doing things that actually we, we should look at and say, well, we'll have that, that's good, that will work for us? Definitely. I mean, I was, I was thinking about this, that other work that I've done outside of the union movement has been with other membership organisations um, and some charities and also through ASLEF talking to different uh, database and CRM providers. And I, I had, a, had a little look up to see how many other organisations there are out there. And according to MemberWise, there are 8,000 membership organisations in the UK. 8,000? 8,000. 8,000. And that's 8,000 with 1,000 members or more. So that doesn't include um, your smaller football clubs. But you name it, if you're 
anything that's got a membership <laughs> membership organisation attached to it, be it sport or leisure, be it a professional association, be it a healthcare concern, be it um, a life stage concern and it, and it, within that they've also included all the loyalty cards because you are a member of um, yes any, indeed yeah. yeah but what they also said was 53.4 million people in the uk are in a membership organization so we're obviously a nation of joiners we love being in a gang so there's a lot to be learned <laughs> from that so not only are yeah. there lots of professional associations and charities out there who do similar work or have a similar way of working to trade unions, be it around charities campaigning, lobbying, or charities with their volunteer recruitment and support, or be it professional associations with CPD. Um, I mean, we are unique in terms of, you know, negotiating in an industrial activity. But there's a lot of other organisations out there who do similar things to us. There's a lot to learn from there, because they've got to get new members in, get them paying, getting them renewing, giving them an well, offer. absolutely. But also, Absolutely. Yeah, and also there's a whole industry around them to support them. So we have, uh, if we think about, again, databases and CRMs is just one example, not to mention conferencing and events, not to mention, I don't know, provision of uh, tech for webinars and and even AI, if we were going to go down the route of, you know, online chatbots no, <laughs> doing work, not suggesting we should. I think the human touch is very important. Um, but there is a whole industry out there of which there are people working other which we could go and recruit. So I think, yeah, there's there's a there's a lot to there's a lot to lift the lid on. I think if we could be if we could step into these maybe groups like Memberwise or Memcom or other areas, the membership organisations, the membership organisations, we could share that good practice. Yeah, in, indeed. I mean, I, I, the crossover between trade unions and other membership based organisations is huge, and therefore. Listeners, whether you're a union member or not, if you know one of these other 53.4 million people who are part of membership organisations, get them to subscribe to the podcast. It's where you hear all you need to about making true. the best of membership based organisations. Do you have um, a loyalty card, Simon? Can I get, can I get a stamp? <laughs> you, you and everyone else can, can, can sign up to get regular alerts at the Makes You Think website, www.makesyouthink.com. You can click to subscribe to this podcast and to get it alerts as soon as a new episode is published but i'm sure you've done that already <laughs> um, Vic, obviously we're living it we're living in in difficult times at the moment with the the covid crisis if if you had a magic wand for unions and could jump to the other side of this crisis so you're in post-covid britain and you had one wish that would improve the trade union movement generally what do you think it would be Well, I think unions have delivered over and above in this current situation. The things that I've seen them step up to do, not only sort of from TUC negotiating on behalf of employers and employees to get, you know, everything sorted out for people in work, the furloughing, the the, the 80% of their pay, all that sort of stuff. The unions that are out there supporting their members who are furloughed, the unions that are out there supporting the key workers, but also all the stuff that they're doing for the general public as well. I mean, I was looking at the NEU, I've got a website for parents that help them cope with homeschooling, goodness knows, it's very hard. And I think, I think, I think what they've done is they've really stepped up and, and been the sort of bodies that they've always been in the background, but have never really had the profile. So my magic wand would be keep up the good work, 
keep up that profile. You're not just here in the bad times, you're here in the good times too. So what have you learned about reaching out to people at the times when they need to hear from you with the information and advice they need to hear through the channels that they can access, giving a good support to, to, to people in their daily lives, but also taking their voices back to the decision makers and helping the decision makers make better decisions on their behalf. And so I think it's for me the magic wand is a is a learning wand, Simon. I want the, I want the unions to learn <laughs> from from what the, from probably very difficult, challenging, hard work that they've been through themselves to hold on to it and to to really take it forward. Well, when we look at the union response to COVID, what's been quite striking has been the way that members have not only sought advice but acted on it and contributed to it. I mean that that presumably I mean does that have useful pointers for how unions could improve in some way in the future? I think definitely. And everything I've talked about, about member engagement in terms of marketing and organising is sort of um, sort of general tactics that you can employ. But if the big thing is, is understanding your members' needs at a particular time, then I think COVID has really writ large for us. So whether it's like members who are being furloughed or key workers who are worried and concerned or the general public themselves who would like good advice um, about what, what this all means for them. Um, again, thinking about the parents, about whether they should be sending their kids to school or not, or what does homeschooling look like, and also families of key workers, what to expect. Um, and I think even Prospect have done stuff on their website about what furloughing means so that employers actually know, because it is a whole new way of working that we, we've, we've never really experienced before. I think I think learning from learning from these levels of engagement will help unions come up with um, new ways of reaching and talking to members I think it's really it's a it's a really really good example of how you can engage members on topics that are really relevant to them well let's let's hope so let's hope so I mean it is a very strange situation indeed with all sorts of things in the mix uh, that probably wouldn't be there in normal times but the fundamental of engaging with members and having that effective relationship is uh, is clearly important Thank you so much for spending time with us on the Union Juice podcast. Before we go, I think we're both aware that that, that something very significant has just happened for our, our friends in the NASUWT in the sense that they have a new general secretary just taken up the reins. So congratulations and good luck to Patrick Roach. Indeed. Um, I used to be yeah. NSUWT's press officer a million, a million moons ago. So I worked with Patrick and he's a, yeah, a very competent and capable man. Taking, I mean, obviously, normally this, these sort of handovers of power uh, with Chris Keats stepping down and, and Patrick taking over would happen at annual conferences, but all union annual conferences are, are kind of on ice. So it's, 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 it's a bit, must be a bit strange, uh, a bit strange for him. And for both um, of them, actually, because Chris has been yeah. general secretary for such a very long time. 16 years, I think. Yeah, yeah 16 years. And, and just, I was just thinking about um, just saying that my son's left primary school about to go to secondary and he hasn't had the chance to say a proper goodbye and get the proper send off. So I, I hope in time towards the end of the year, they've got a proper knees up for Chris planned. So she can say goodbye properly. <laughs> it's important. Goodbyes are uh, saying properly. I mean, you know, I don't think any there can't be anyone or, uh, around who's got a better knowledge of the of unions in the teaching world than the, the new Vic. I mean, what's your what's your view about the, the the state of play? We had the ATL and the NUT merge to create the National Education Union, uh, but do you ever see that the NEU and the NASUWT might merge? Still, still less would they merge with with the National Association of Head Teachers? Um. I think it'll come from the membership. 
I think that's where the need will be. I think there'll be a, right. it'll be a push to meet members' needs that would make those yeah. decisions. And I think all the unions look to that all the time to understand those pinch points and when good decisions need to be made. Uh, Vic, thanks ever so much uh, for joining us on the, on the podcast. Always good to see you. And my thanks to the rest of your household as well for allowing themselves to be booted off their web-based appliances so that we could we could use the bandwidth for, the, for, for this. It's an absolute pleasure, Simon, and it's very nice to speak to you too. <laughs> OK, take care. See you soon. See you soon. Bye now. Bye now. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that. Uh, Plenty in there to make you think. For me, there were three main things that came out of that discussion. First is that the concept of a member journey is sound, but there can be all sorts of things that can disrupt that journey. Fortunately, I think most of them are things that we can control, like not overwhelming people with messages or urging them to do something too often, and like when and how we set and collect subscriptions. Second point is that there's so much we could learn and adapt from other membership-based organisations, and we should make a real effort to find them out. And third, Vic's notion of a learning wand, taking the great work unions have done on member support, engagement with members and the public, and generally being on the front foot, and incorporate that into our everyday business-as-usual work once we're through this terrible period. If you want to get in touch with Vic to continue the discussion or seek her advice, the email address you need is vicbconsults at gmail.com. That info is replicated in the blog post that accompanies this podcast. As ever, we're really keen to get your take on this. Do you agree or disagree? What's your experience of the member journey? How could it be improved? Email us at unionjews at makesyouthink.com. And thanks to everyone who has downloaded, streamed and shared the podcast so far. It's been great to get your tweets and emails. Do please keep them coming. So now we have our regular book review here at Union Jews. Um, if you want to submit a book for us to, to read or just tell us any opinions you have on anything that you might have heard about, um, Simon will give you the details for that in a little bit. But Simon, what have you been reading this week? Well, there's this week it's Donut Economics by Kate Rayworth. I hope I've pronounced that right. Apologies if I haven't. Now, this was first published in 2017. But it came to my attention recently when I read an article about how Amsterdam is planning its post-COVID future to be based on Rayworth's donut model. So the the idea is if you imagine an American-style ring donut, the idea is that the inner edge of the donut is the minimum set of requirements necessary for human society to function, sort of basic infrastructure, healthcare, employment, education, so on. And the outer edge of the donut is the limit of sustainable living. Beyond that, we degrade the planet and ultimately wipe ourselves out. So in between the inner and outer edges is the room for debate, variation, movement, political choice. And because of that, that in-between bit seems the natural focus for attention, but it's not. The real issue, the fundamental concerns, are getting people out of the hole in the middle of the donut and stopping society leaping off the outer edge of the ring, because both those things represent unsustainable ways of organising society. And Rayworth basically sets out the basic case for reworking economics in this way and devotes a chapter to various aspects of how the model would work. So is is it very much like a textbook? I mean, she's a professor of economics. There are over 30 pages of notes and references in there. Doesn't that make it a bit, I don't know, inaccessible for the layman? Well, it, Well, it's certainly a serious book in the sense of the author saying... Here's the summation of all my academic work over 25, 30 years. Here's the rationale for why I've written what I've written. It's a template for economics that's really different from conventional 20th century ideas. And she no doubt wants to make the the strongest case she can for her argument. 
So worthy but dull? No, no, no. I'm going to push back on you on that one for two reasons. First of all, Rayworth has, has like eaten the pie and worn the shirt because she spent an awful lot of time in the field looking at how her ideas can work in practice. And second, I think she writes really well. So would you say you're a convert? No, well, not so much a convert, but when you come across something that places ideas you already have in an ordered and practical context, it does make for an easier read. Okay, um, thank you. That's Donut Economics by Kate Rayworth, published by Random House at £9.99. If you have a book you'd like us to review for Union Jews, here's what to do. Yes, we'd welcome suggestions for future reviews, and if you'd like to contribute yours, let me know by emailing unionjews at makesyouthink.com. We'd be happy to record you reading your review too to play on the show. And it's not just what you're reading right now, but books that have left their mark on you, are important to you in some way. And we've had quite heavy books so far in this series, so let's try and lighten the tone next time. Well, that's almost it for this episode. Thanks so much for your company. I hope you've enjoyed it, that perhaps it's made you think. We really want your views and input. Please rate us on the podcast platform of your choice and share amongst your own networks. Tweet us at Union Jews and email your comments and suggestions to unionjews and makesyouthink.com. We'll be back, maybe in a week or two, with our next episode in which we'll focus on young workers. Until then, stay well, stay safe, stay indoors if you can. Thanks for listening and goodbye. The Union Dues podcast is presented by me, Simon Sapper, with Liz Sapper. It is a Makes You Think production.